in San Antonio with the Senior Vice President of Business Strategy at Bridgewater Consulting, Ernie Lewis. Uh, Bridgewater is sponsoring our Start at ETS event here today at Maverick Whiskey. Ernie, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we're about halfway through the day of presentations. Uh, we're about to see the startup finalists, and it's uh, the air is palpable <laughs> <laughs> to see who's going to win those smart city and smart utility prizes. Uh, so how's the event? how has the event been so far for you, Ernie? The event's been uh, really, really good. I've enjoyed um, spending time with the various startups, uh, hearing some of their ideas on how to bring innovation into this 100-plus-year-old uh, industry, um, and really getting to kind of uh, to know how they see innovation making a difference in solving the problems that we actually have today. So by the time this this comes out, uh, the judging will be completed. You're uh, judging the Smart Cities category. What projects so far have stood out to you? Well, there have been several really good projects uh, here today, Dylan. A couple that really stood out to me. Um, one, Brilliancy, which really deals with the consumer side of the house, bringing the power of information for all of the utilities that a consumer might have, gas, electric, and water, and putting it into an app that is intuitive, easy to read, easy to understand, and more importantly, can help them make informed decisions on their lifestyle that can affect their utility bill and gain access to other products and services. I really like the fact that it's uh, consistent with how people today like to do business. I like to call it the Amazon or Uber type of experience where they can use their lifestyle cockpit, their smartphone, and they can draw upon this information and they can have that information uh, pushed to them, made available to them uh, on a schedule that works for them. So I really found that to be uh, very, very interesting and exciting. The other one is a company called Invault, which um, to my way of thinking, it's really about replacing an existing technology that is large and cumbersome um, with one that is taking advantage of the increase in technological power and the decrease in cost, which is kind of the crossroads we're at right now. And what it brings, uh, brings to bear is actually allowing uh, control of emissions and things of that nature at the local level, at the consumer level. So those are a couple that really stood out to me. Envault, remind me, it was the, they were the one that wheeled in that big piece of machinery to elaborate how cumbersome it was. They did, they did. They actually brought in uh, an existing piece of machinery that I believe they said uh, weighed uh, somewhere around three or 400 pounds. And they brought it in on a portable forklift. That's how large it actually was. And they replaced it with a device, uh, a battery inverter system that's probably one-tenth or smaller of the size, which has multiple benefits. Number one, it has more powerful capabilities right, to solve that problem. But also in terms of the load it puts on vehicles, it reduces that load. And of course, that load on vehicles has a direct correlation to emissions, carbon footprint, things of that nature. So it solves a direct problem and then indirectly helps reduce things like carbon emission. Sounds like a good pitch. It reminds me of, uh, I think, uh, two years ago at start, the Winter Grid 2020, they had a, they had a smart transformer project and they, all, they, we, they, wheeled in, uh, they wheeled in a model of a transformer and just like were able to show visually how, you know, how, it, how their system was like small and easily adaptable to, uh, to this legacy technology. And then, and that really resonated with the judges. 
because because they had that visible because they had they had that visual aspect. So it's, it sounds like it sounds like that was a a fairly effective pitch for uh, for a for a simple solution. I think so. And there was one last one I'll just mention, which I believe is called Re3D, uh, which is a 3D printing solution. Which 3D printing's been around in different um, stages for a few years now, but the level of clarity they can bring to the uh, the items that they can actually print now and the fact that they can um, reuse, frankly, our garbage um, in a way to make it something, to use their words, something beautiful and functional. So I think that's another big step towards sustainability. And one of the solutions that they highlighted were things like prosthetics in children, which when the children grow, often the prosthetics have to be recast. In this case, they can just reprint a finger, a hand, whatever it may be, for just a few dollars worth of the actual plastic. So I think that's another really, really great example of, uh, of innovation. Those are some of the things that have impressed you. But so, but why in general does Bridgewater want to participate in this event? What, what do you hope to get out of it? Bridgewater is formed with former utility executives that have been working across the industry for 20 plus years. And being able to stay at the forefront of the industry is crucial. Um, the industry is at a inflection point right now. And there is a need for innovation um, to be brought to bear to really move us past some of the the points where where we're kind of stalled uh, to some degree. So we want to make sure that we're part of that, we're supporting it. Um, We believe that it's also an investment in the future of what's going to happen in the industry. Um, There is a natural cycle that occurs in any long-term industry. This industry has been around for 135 years, plus or minus. And so there's a need for this kind of continuous innovation to be brought to bear. What I encourage people at this conference is really to think through the specifics of how the solution moves from concept to actuality in terms of implementing and solving an actual problem. So Bridgewater really wants to support that and to promote that. And that's why we're here. Um, Like I said, you were judging the smart city category. Yes. What are some of the key missing pieces in the smart city vision? So there's actually um, a couple of them. Um, let's, let's stand back for a moment and just think about the ecosystem that's required. In order for the smart city to be realized, there is a role to be played by the city itself in terms of envisioning their definition of smart city, and it will vary by city to city. Secondly, there's a role for the utility to play. And there are multiple roles that the utility could play. And thirdly, I believe there's a role for the private sector to play. This brings about a need for extensive collaboration amongst some pretty significant players that have interest all of their own. Wrap around that an ecosystem of innovative ideas that can actually change the lifestyle of the city citizens, which is really what it's all about. And there there has to be a lot of coordination on top of that collaboration in order for this to be put into projects you can actually execute and implement upon. So I think that the missing piece for me as I talk to people around the country about this is getting past the point of just meeting and discussing it and actually getting to a point where they have agreement on the implementation plan and they can actually then make decisions on who is going to kind of be the quarterback to lead this team forward, and then who's going to actually build out the infrastructure. This is significant in terms of the requirement 
for the physical infrastructure and the technology associated with the smart city. And these are going to be large capital projects. So the, they have to be very thoughtful about who's going to actually do that construction work and what is the accountability for it. So I think that piece has been missing from a organizational governance standpoint. I think from a value proposition standpoint, the piece that I won't say it's missing as much as it needs to be crystallized is actually what are the most valuable scenarios. I think that what um, the city of San Antonio is doing, for example, and having innovation zones is a great idea to kind of test some of these things with their actual constituents, see which ones they like, see which ones they don't, see which of their assumptions are confirmed and which ones are blown out of the water. So, for example, one that I heard of recently was um, where they were talking about autonomous vehicles and they expected that a lot of the older generation would reject it and perhaps the young generation would embrace it. And they actually found that a lot of the older generation embraced it, but it all came about what was the scenario that you were solving for. And the scenario that we solved for with some of those folks was really around how to get to where they needed to um, without having to rely on other people. And that's actually a growing problem with the aging population. So I think the, the smart cities are, are great ideas, but they've got to get very specific about the scenarios and the behaviors that they actually want. Yes, and, and not just the ones that we want, but the ones that like the citizens, the populace of the city want too. I think that's something Absolutely. that can oftentimes get lost in smart city discussions is that like it's not just about what will you know make things easiest on the utility in terms of doing in terms of billing and customer service. It's also about uh, making sure that having you know having all all of this data and all of these analytics uh, amount to amount to to a a populace that is. You know that that has a better quality of life and is you know more more mobile has access to more information than ever, uh, and I think that I think that that sort that that dynamic is is cha- is changing. I remember a time when smart city was just just meant put a sensor on everything. <laughs> um, what what do you what do you think about the idea? I I I can't remember who told me this, but what do you think about the idea of this of of uh, of instead of instead of smart city having the idea of just the smarter city, that it's an ongoing process and not a goal? I think that's um, spot on. I think that when you talk about infusing intelligence in these areas, first off, it's been happening for some time, starting with the simple things like the sensors. And I think it will continue to evolve as technology continues to evolve. What will um, satisfy citizens today? Great, wonderful. There will be a whole evolved set of demands 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So the journey has to continue, right, in order for this to, to, to continue to meet the needs of, of the citizens. And I think there are things that we don't even envision yet that will be game changers uh, in the future. So I think that's a, a very good way to think about it. Um, I like to always remind people that um, cities and utilities, they didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, I don't want to be dumb anymore. I want to be smart now, <laughs> right? They've always been infusing technology, but it was driven by certain priorities. Now there's a chance to broaden the applications because of that, you know, of the cost curve coming down and then the technology curve continue to go up. So, you know, we were talking about kind of the relationship between utilities, cities, and the private sector in uh, the creation of smart cities, what some of the utilities' goals are. So uh, bringing it back to missing pieces, where do startups fit fit in there? Is that the is that sort of the building, are they sort of the building block with which you kind of springboard off? Are they kind of slotting in the fi- some of the final pieces where what is the what is the role of the startup in all of that i think the role of the startup is helping to refine some of the final pieces i think that the infrastructure has to be built 
between the city and the utilities. I think the private sector is going to need to drive some of the strategies around what they hope to accomplish. But in all honesty, when we think about kind of the last mile of solutions, that's where startups and innovators can really make a difference. The other entities really don't have the time to think about that at the same level that's required because they must get these other pieces right in order for things to flow correctly. So I would encourage startups to think about how all of these pieces will come together and what will be missing at the end. And that, I believe, is, is an opportunity for them to help refine the final solutions. Yeah, sort of a... It, from so based on that and what you've said earlier, it sounds like uh, some of the some of the greatest barriers to to smart ci- to smart city eventualities is having comprehensive uh, comprehensive holistic plans that uh, are shared among all the necessary stakeholders. That's correct, um, Dylan. I think it's also a balance of not over engineering to use a overused term but they have enough clarity and specificity so that you can achieve the correct milestones on the way, um, but still have enough flexibility so that when some of the um, startups and innovators uh, come to the table with some ideas that you haven't thought of, you can still ingest those ideas and they can actually make a difference in the final solution. Yeah, and I really liked the uh, the phrase you used earlier. You said uh, they can help with the startups or can help with the last mile because that's actually uh you know we we talked about this in a episode about scooters a couple weeks back that that's a a a term in transportation Mm -hmm. for you know about where the the next biggest the people expect the next biggest innovation in transportation to come from is the quote-unquote last mile from uh you know from where you park to where you're to where you're going or that all that sort of thing uh so and that that stuff has largely been the province of, of startups the the, 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 the final small but entirely crucial pieces. Yes. And I think that's, you know, sort of what, I think that's sort of what we're trying to uh, help, uh, I don't want to say germinate because that's a gross sounding word, uh, foster, help foster here at start and with the whole startup week going on in San Antonio at, at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're, you're a consultant by trade. You've got uh, years of experience. So, with, with all your experience in this industry, what what advice would you give uh, to a new player, or an entrepreneur, someone with someone with an idea looking looking to break in, to uh, looking to be a part of the smart city or smart utility going forward? You know, that that's a great question. I was just having this discussion with uh, with another participant just a few moments ago. I think that with all the creativity that the startups have. Right, and we need to help unleash that. At the same time, I believe it would be in the best interest of the startups and innovators to really understand the utility. And I don't really mean how electrons flow as much as I mean understand the culture of the utilities and why they operate the way they do. I, I often equate them to a paramilitary model and they would probably embrace this. If you think about it, they tend to think of themselves third behind law enforcement and fire, and then you have the utility mindset. Why? Well, let's think about what happened in Texas in the last 72 hours with significant tornadoes in the Dallas area. 
Um, I believe 100,000 plus people were without power. In the midst of all that, the utility folks were out there trying to restore power, trying to remove debris, literally risking, them, risking their lives for these things. So their mindset is one that says, we fight hard to keep the lights on on behalf of our consumers. That's our number one fundamental thing. Everything else is secondary. And so it may seem like they're reluctant to innovate. I think a lot of it is a mismatch of understanding the culture. And the more you can understand the culture, the more you can not only come up with a solution, but you can position it in a way that the utilities can consume it because they really want to continue to innovate. And if you just think about what's happened with the, elect the electrical grid over the last several years and the amount of innovation that has come into play, we often talk about smart meters, which is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, they want to continue that innovation and they actually want the broader ecosystem to help. So the best advice I could say is spend some time actually getting to know the utility organization, develop some mentorships, be mentored by some people in the utility who you can call and you can have conversations with about, you know, not just why they're very slow in making decisions, but what is it about this culture that I need to really understand? And oh, by the way, every utility, they may share certain cultural attributes, but they also have their own unique ones for their particular area. CPS here in the San Antonio area, I guarantee will have a different cultural aspect than Southern California Edison, where I came from in Southern California. At the core, it'll be the same, but it'll be somewhat different as you get deeper in it. That would be my number one piece of advice. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and hey, for those startups, uh, here's, more, here's more free press for this book. You should read The Grid by uh, Gretchen Balke. Because, yeah, that, get, that, that I, I, I agree that I think it's very important that you understand sort of the, the, the history and the culture of, of this, of, of the industry that you're planning on doing business in, especially because it's going, undergoing such an upheaval, but that where change needs, needs to come at a certain pace, but it also has to be, you know, and also has to be reliable because otherwise people are without power in in a very important age for power. Unacceptable. Unaccept it's unacceptable. Absolutely. Um, so that's interesting because we've had many people on the show and it's in conversations, uh, in, at conferences and things, and there are, there are folks from, from within this industry that, w that talk about, you know, the pace of innovation, whether or not it's too fast or too slow, but there, there, there's a lot of uh, comparisons where it's like, well, if you look at... Uh, if you look at telecom, if you look at if you look at transportation, a lot a lot of these barriers to innovation don't seem to be there. Why ca why can't they they be here? Uh, you 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 touched on that 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 main the main reason is because if if you if you lose service or if you uh, cause harm to your workers, that is like really really bad on on both of those things. And you have to you know you have to be you have to make sure that those risks are taken into account. Is there anything else that you, you think can, can account for uh, maybe a, for a rate of innovation that some find uh, to, that some find either from too slow to, to potentially catastrophic? Right. So let's take a comparison between uh, telecom and the electric utility. Um, I had the opportunity to work for almost 10 years at a large telecom, I'll leave it at that. What's interesting is the centralized decentralization that occurred in that industry also occurred and is occurring in the electric utility industry. But one big difference 
is the physical nature of what's required to deliver electrons versus the wireless ability to enable telecom. Now, by the way, what most people think about when they think of innovation within telecom or what we do with our smartphones and how that's all enabled. But candidly, all of that has a backbone that is also wrapped around physical networks. But of course, that's not what you really see. The utility, in order to deliver the electrons to the home, to the business, they have to have physical connections. There's no way to wirelessly deliver electrons to somebody. And so that creates a geographic constraint that you don't have in other areas, right? Um, and there are other um, challenges that I would say have been overcome by the utilities that are innovative, that are accelerated, but they're not the kind of thing that a normal consumer would even think of or even care about, right? Because mostly what people care about is when I flip the lights, switch the lights come on 100% of the time. And if they don't, I'm going to lose my mind because I need my lights, right? Yes. Or I can't charge my phone or I can't, you know, you fill in the blanks kind of a thing, right? Um, and the other side of it is for utilities, a lot of what they also innovate around is how they service some very crucial other entities like hospitals, right? How they respond to wildfire mitigation, all these other kinds of things. So their innovation is wrapped around the delivery of that service that just has a different infrastructure requirement. So that's just one example of, of why the innovation pace looks different for at least those two industries. Yeah, I mean, and there's a whole water question here, but we don't want to be here all day. <laughs> um, just kind of bringing it to a head. Sure. What, what in your mind is going to determine what the electric utility space looks like on the other side of this crossroads we're at? I think a couple of things. One is the speed of which we can define the behaviors that we expect to see on the other side of the crossroads at all levels, at all scenarios. Define those in a rock solid or as rock solidly as possible and then work backwards to identify the technology and the capabilities required and the speed at which we can put those in place. Putting the technology in place without solving for the behaviors that we expect and need and desire, it's a solution looking for a problem. And it needs to be the other way around, right? Where we actually have a problem that needs a solution. I think that's, I think that's important about uh, making sure that you, that you set those goals. One of the things I, can, I hear sometimes that kind of discourages me a bit is the notion that, I, I, it's true, but the idea that, you know, since, you know, we, we talked about this about smart cities, innovation isn't a goal, it's an ongoing process, mm -hmm. which, is, which is true, but uh, that, that I don't think that presupposes that there shouldn't be a, an, end, an end goal for at least what we want the industry to look like uh, five years down the line, ten years down the line, because we are, like, we are, we are at a crossroads uh, in the information age, and eventually, we, I, I believe we will end up back at a back at a place where things where we're still where we're still innovating but the future of the what the future of the utility is is going to be a lot more stable uh so but to get to get to that point there are many goals we have to have along the way um that aren't just that I mean that that aren't just be reliable you have to be reliable um but they're they're definitely I definitely agree with sort of what you've been laying out in that there needs to be and that there needs to be a plan, and that, that and that that plan is going to be made by a series of stakeholders, not just the utility, not just the city, not just the startup. Um, and because of that, and because of that, I think 
it's easy to kind of get lost in in the minutiae and with the philosophy when ultimately it's going to come down to goals and process. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? It does. I actually want to pick up on something else you said, which is, Lily, there's going to be kind of checkpoints along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll be set by step function capabilities. So for example, right now, there is a convergence of desire around mobility, electrification, and autonomous vehicles. As we think about smart cities, this trio continues to come up over and over again. And I think what it's going to look like in its first iteration is a significant amount of self-service that basically will allow you or I to engage as much or as little as you want to without having to go through someone else. Whether it is, you know, I don't feel like driving today, so what do we do? We call an Uber. Well, just extend that out now. Tomorrow, I may, through my smart city, be able to utilize their network no matter where I am. It automatically will provision itself to me. It will automatically tell me all the options I have for travel based upon the preferences it's gathered from me using artificial intelligence or machine learning. And it may actually pull me through my day as opposed to me kind of stumbling through my day. So if that paints a bit of a picture. Well, uh, Ernie, thank you for coming on and uh, giving us that consultation for free. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure, Dylan. I really enjoyed it. And I've really been enjoying the, uh, the start ETS. 19 conference. Well, yeah, we uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on as a judge. We appreciate Bridgewater sponsoring the event uh, and being such an active participant. So if you want to see what happened at Start at ETS, uh, there are going to be uploads of recorded sessions at our YouTube channel, ETS Energy Thought Summit. You can go to etsinsights.com to find any content that any other content that came out of it, along with all of our other research and media. Uh, you can find us on social media at zprime underscore research, at dy lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, and also at ETS underscore conference. Uh, all four of those accounts were active during Start at ETS, so you can uh, look for it there or by searching the hashtag Start at ETS. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.